Hey guys, I'm Jess. And I'm Nate. And we are going to tell you all the things you really want to hear for teens. So if there's anything that we haven't talked about yet or questions that you have that you'd like to know about, let us know by emailing us at realadvice4teens at gmail.com. And that's the number four. So once again, realadvice4teens at gmail.com. And don't forget to subscribe so you can hear our new episodes every week. Okay, so today, well, this is a little bit later than we normally have uh, released episodes. We've tried to do it a week um, on the day, but because of the 4th of July and the fact that it fell on a Sunday and was celebrated on a Monday, we're a couple of days off, so we're sorry about that. Yeah, but sorry. We hope you had a good 4th of July, though. We got to spend if some time with family. Yeah, if you celebrate 4th of July. We got to spend some time with family, so that was good. Um, all right, so we had one email... Um, that we haven't covered yet that has quite a few questions on it. So if you want to start with that, Jess. Yeah, let's read those. So first question, and they said that it's helped them. So thank you for sending that email saying that it's helped you. That really makes us feel good. But their first question is, how do I help someone with a pornography addiction? I know a friend who struggles with it and their parents, no one are helping them, but how can I support them as a friend? I was the one who told their parents, and so they are kind of mad at me. Whew, that's a tough one. Well, it is a tough one. I guess especially where we live, um, I think, well, I think it just depends because some places put a lot of emphasis on on this and some places don't. So um, this this email comes from somebody who lives in our area, and pornography addiction has been a big issue. So Yeah, I think it's a big issue, though all over the world not just where we are i think the first most important advice is to not let them feel alone not let them feel super alone in this difficult thing they're going through because with addiction and this is with any addiction there's a cycle and we're going to actually talk about this a little later but there's a cycle they go through and it starts with some sort of pain And that can be a mental pain, an emotional pain, a physical pain, any type of pain. Maybe it's low self-esteem, maybe it's depression, maybe it's a physical pain. And that gives them this need to hide the pain or cover the pain or get over the pain. Some way to just get rid of this pain. And oftentimes they, if they're addicted to something, they use that substance to cover that pain it releases dopamine in their brain dopamine is a hormone that makes us feel really good like if you score a goal in soccer you're gonna have a big hit of dopamine and you're gonna feel awesome because you just made a goal now pornography (coughs) and drugs they give tons of dopamine in the brain and that's why they are so addictive because there's so much dopamine being released And then when the person starts feeling sad or whatever their pain is, their brain automatically goes back to, oh, pornography or drugs made me happy or whatever the addiction can be. We're talking about pornography in this instance. And then they'll want to use it. So trying to help them with that initial pain is going to be the best thing. Now, I'm not a therapist and Nate is not a therapist. We're just teachers, but we both have dealt with 
people in our lives that have had addictions and just being there for them and trying to figure out what is triggering that, what triggers the want to look at the look at pornography. And like I said, you're not a therapist either, but being their friend and letting them be open with you about it and not shaming them for it is going to be super, super important. Yeah, well, and if they don't want to be open with you about it, don't get frustrated no. either. No. Um, when it comes to an addiction, somebody, one of the first things they have to do is they have to know that they have a problem. Mm-hmm. They have to admit that they have that problem. And then that means that they're on a path to wanting to fix the problem. If they aren't there, um, really, I mean, it, there's really not anything you can do other than just be there for them and let them know that you care. Um, it's not a topic that you want to just bring up all the time unless they bring it up. Otherwise, you'll divide a wedge between you and them because they're already going to feel really bad for it um, if they're trying to fix things. And then if they aren't, chances are they probably already feel really paranoid, mm-hmm. and so they're not going to want to talk about it either. It's a really, really hard subject to try and deal with. Um, if addictions are serious enough, it really takes a lot of counseling and a lot of help to try to get over these things. But anger, frustration, um, impatience, those are not emotions or feelings or approaches that you can take with addiction in any way, or it will just drive them further away from you. Which is really hard, especially if there's someone really close to you and you can see how it's hurting them. Sometimes it's, it's normal to be frustrated. Like, well, why are you doing this if it's causing so many problems in your life? But until you have been addicted to something you don't really understand. You can't comprehend why they're using this substance, whatever it is, to cover up something they're going through. So it's normal to be frustrated about it, but you wanna be very careful with showing that frustration to them. You wanna be there for them and show them you care about them and love them. That way when they want your help, they know, oh, they're not gonna judge me They Mm -hmm. love me and they know they have a support person because that's a huge part of recovery is having someone to support you. Yeah. And when somebody is going through it, eventually there's going to come a point in time where they want to get better. And when that happens, if you've always been there, you'll be there for them when they really need it. So that's important. Another thing that I would add, and I've read about this, is sometimes people who are close to somebody that has an addiction, they try the substance or whatever themselves to try and understand where that person's coming from and they can get addicted themselves so stay away from it keep it out of your life but just be there for that person yeah because pornography is super addictive very addictive and there's lots and lots of science backing up how harmful pornography is i don't think we're gonna get into that today maybe maybe on another episode i don't know but it is very harmful so stay away from it you don't have to understand what it is to be able to help them that's a great point just just be there for them you do know what it's like to go through troubles and trials and frustrations and you do know what it's like to have somebody help you though and that's what you can do you can be that same thing for them there's that what is that website is it fight the new drug i think it's fight the new drug dot org 
So if you want more resources and stuff, I know that that's a wonderful resource that you can go to um, to just We can start link out. that. Yeah, we can link it today. So. Yeah. It is fightthenewdrug.org, and it has a lot of good information about pornography and how it affects the world and the heart and the mind. It's very, lots of great information. For sure, so. All right, second question. Oh, I'm gonna go back, first question, because we didn't really acknowledge the part that says, I was the one who told their parents, so they're kind of mad at me. I think as long as you talk to them and say, I know you're mad at me for telling your parents, but I really care about you, and explain why you did it. Why did you tell their parents? You're worried about them, you care about them, you want the best for them, and hopefully they can see that. They may not be able to right now, but I think that's a good thing to be able to explain to them. I think so too, and that may not happen right away. Like they may not want to hear what you have to say right away. And if that's the case, that's fine. Just be there, be consistent, and just kind of be the person that they want you to be. And that I, as long as you're consistent, it will change over time and they'll realize that you really just care about them and are trying to help. Yeah. That can just take time though. All right, second question. How do I deal with a difficult boss? I have a boss at work who's terrible at communication, and she's always mad at me for something I didn't know about. I try to be respectful, but I need to be able to communicate with her. First oh, thing oh. I would say, <laughs> first thing I would say is, and this is going to sound kind of weird, but I would be grateful for this boss right now. And the reason that is is because you're young, and you will not work at this place forever, hopefully, right? Um, that being said, it's going to teach you how to deal with people further on down the road. The second thing that I would say is don't become like overcritical of yourself because when you have a boss that's hard to communicate with, they have a lot of pressure on themselves and they blame things on other people when things don't go right. And it sounds like in this case, it's because this boss can't explain what they expect very well. It can cause you to be overcritical about yourself and then cause you to doubt yourself. Don't do that. Do the very best that you can. And then I would just make sure that if I'm in that situation and they tell me to do something, I would repeat myself. I would say, okay, so let me get this straight. Or, okay, let me um, make sure I understand. I'd probably say make sure I understand. You want me to do this, 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 and this. And spell it out for them. And then they have to come back and say yes or no. And that way you're on the same page. And then if they come back later on and say, no, I want you to do this you can say no remember we went over this and I said this and so if you wanted me to do that next time please just explain better um, communication is key and sometimes it's really about how you word the communication you cannot cannot get um, what's the like you, you can't show them that you're frustrated you can't take things personal if they come across wrong you've got to be the one that's just like let me get this straight or let me see if I understand so like Jess and I use this as a tactic when we're arguing or if we have arguments, we'll say something like, this makes me feel like, or trying to put things in perspective and get away from the emotions, and it helps a lot. Yeah, it does. And re going over like what they said is very helpful. And I don't know if I would necessarily say, no, wait, you said this. Well, later on. But Even if it's later on, I think that can still cause problems and yeah they did say that and that's frustrating okay. and sometimes yeah, we just true. have to realize like oh they're human and you can just say oh I'm sorry I thought when we went over it that wasn't brought up but of course I can do that 
Yeah, that, that, you know that way you're kind of standing up for yourself, but you're also being able to take responsibility for it because you are you're gonna have to deal with hard bosses probably the rest of your life there are just some bosses that are hard and maybe it's a conversation you have with this boss like I feel like I am not meeting your expectations and I really want to see what they are can you help me understand that yeah, if you come at it from that way, it's going to seem like you're very responsible mm -hmm. and you're trying your best. They may get frustrated with that. They may not. But in reality, again, just remember, this is a small moment in your life with working and everything. And if this boss won't be very helpful, you know, maybe, may, I mean, really, maybe it's just time to go find another place that uh, you can work just because you are so young and able to just bounce around. So, But... Whoever wrote this, I think this is showing a lot of maturity. Like the, you are concerned about your boss and how to work well. Kudos to you. I think that is so cool. I really gives me hope in our future generation. I mean, this could be like a, I don't know who the person is, but it could be a I, 50 year old. I know, I know who the person is and they are very mature. Well, so. awesome. I think that is so neat. All right, next question. Um, about parents. My dad and I don't get along most of the time. He doesn't approve of any of my decisions. I'm the only kid he's strict with and I don't get it. About a month ago, I asked if I could apply for a job and so I applied to four places. And when I got an interview with the company my friends work for, he yelled at me for applying without asking him first. He's going through a divorce, so he's stressed, but it seems like he's taking it out on me. He doesn't agree with me about my religion, my friends, my job, or my hobbies. He does that thing that parents do. I love this because I'm curious what we do. Whenever I'm looking at my phone and I smile, he assumes I have a boyfriend. <laughs> I'm guilty of this. I'm like, ooh, who are you talking to? You know, to my kids just as a joke. Anyway. I'm so frustrated with him. What can I do to show that I respect him, but I want to make my own decisions and live my own life? How can I get him to stop pressuring me so much? Again, so mature. Like the maturity of this question. <laughs> and I feel like it's true. if teenagers were able to ask these questions, we would probably find that a lot of them have this inner maturity but they don't know who to talk to about it so we just see it from a parent point of view but a lot of like our students they ask us questions and we see this maturity sometimes parents don't always see that right i think parents see a different side of their kids than teachers see for sure yeah so all right so what do you what I do you think i kind of feel like you should approach this the same way you would a difficult boss and just, and just in that regard, like I would sit down with my dad and be like, look, dad, I know you're going through a lot and I love you and I care about you, um, but I feel like what you're going through right now is coming across to me a little bit and I want to let you know that, you know, this or that or the other 
is hurting my feelings. It's making me hard. To, it's making it hard for me to function. And I don't want there to be a divide between us. But with all these emotions, it's easy to build a divide. And so you would say like list things out and don't be rude about it. Just be like, when I'm doing this, it seems like you think this and I just wanted to let you know this is what's really going on or whatever. But just take a very mature approach to the conversation. Um, I, as a parent myself, I mean, I've got my, my oldest daughter's 18. I don't think I would get frustrated if my kids sat down with me and were like, look, like here's how it is. And and did so in a very meaningful, mature manner. I just, I couldn't be frustrated with that. No, and I think we've talked about this too, the timing of it. Yeah, timing like is you important. don't wanna do it when they're really frustrated or right when you've gotten an argument, because when kids do that, I'm already frustrated, so I'm going to naturally be a little bit defensive already. And that, I try really hard not to be, but sometimes that's hard. Sometimes that's really hard, so if you, say hey dad i do you want to like go get some ice cream with so, me so i was literally just sitting here thinking like just go up to your dad and say hey dad can we go on like a date yeah just you and i will go out and just enjoy the time with them and then through conversation as things are going on then start to work things into the conversation because his guard's down he's enjoying himself his focus is only on you and you only on him in that scenario, it's really going to be hard to get frustrated. So I, I, I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, and if you say, like, before, I really love this. I'm so glad we're doing this. I really want to keep doing this with you so I can have open conversations. I really appreciate you taking your time and just listening to me. I think it's going to help our relationship. I think that will help a lot because it's showing that you want to improve the relationship not necessarily pick out all the little things that are wrong with it. That's and true. throw in, we always talk about like sandwich compliments or sandwich the negative feedback. So you say something positive. So you start the night out, oh, yeah, maybe yeah. on the drive with, remember when I was young and we used to do this or whatever positive thing. And then you wanna talk about the hard stuff and then make sure you end the night with something positive yeah and if you can see it starting to go downhill <coughs> like he's getting frustrated or you are maybe just say you know what let's i really want to enjoy this night maybe we talk about this another time but that way he knows where your thoughts are but chances yeah. are um you know if you've got him alone and you're talking to him you know going through a divorce things like that can be frustrating plus you know there's work and running a family and all the change that's coming in his life and everything else all that compounded is going to cause frustration yeah. so if he sees you doing something that he's worried about or frustrated about or whatever because he loves you his feelings are going to come out in stronger emotions and chances are um, if if you feel like you're he's that you're the only one he gets frustrated with he probably has more expectations for you too or yeah. he sees greater capacity in you than he does your older siblings which makes me wonder um, if you the are the oldest yes mm -hmm. I that. Um, that being said um, just know that if you can get him out of that situation it will change everything he'll let his guard down and for a moment there, he'll be that dad you remember from long ago before all of this stuff. And it's hard. It's hard being a parent when you're going through a stressful time. It is. 
it really and we forget and you know if you're very open and i want to help you dad i want to be there for you but i feel like we're spreading apart because of this he's gonna want to help he's gonna want to fix that for sure he he will um and i mean i've been through a divorce myself and i've had similar conversations with my own children um so you know coming from a dad's perspective i would not have been frustrated with my kids had they done what you know i think you're capable of doing so all right we had another did we already talk about friends do we already do this one do an episode on friends and becoming more distant with friends oh yeah we did we did i thought that question we've done before okay I don't know. No, so we Nate just does we, the questions usually. and I do not. Well, so this area <laughs> of expertise that we wanted to talk I about guess the today. Emails. Yeah. Just teaches what we're gonna talk about today. So she's got a different perspective on it, and then I've got well, she's also got the personal feelings and so do I. So today what we wanted to talk about for the next little bit is grief. We're gonna talk about grief because why are we gonna talk about grief? You're all gonna go through it at some point in your life. You all will have to go through grief. And, oh, don't mind the train. I don't know if they can hear the train in the background. Oh, I don't know how you couldn't. There's a very loud train going through right now. We love the train. I was holding a little two-year-old yesterday and a train went by and he was so cute. He's like, choo-choo, choo-choo. I love little babies. Yeah. Well, They're the cutest. If only. I remember when our kids were that young. Our, our baby's seven now. Seven. So. He's so big. All right, so. Okay, sorry. Grief. grief. Yeah, you're all going to have to go through this at some point in your life. Unfortunately. Un- no. Maybe not unfortunately. It at the helps. beginning, At the beginning, it's definitely unfortunate. Afterwards, and after a lot of reflection and time, it becomes something that you grow from. Yes. But it still is a bittersweet thing. Yes. It's, it's like very eating, hard. It's like eating 95% chocolate. Actually, that's always bitter. Oh. And is there any <laughs> benefit after? 75% chocolate. I don't know. It's Just like eating dark chocolate. Just enjoy your chocolate. Bittersweet. Like, if you're going to eat chocolate... I guess that's my word of advice today. <laughs> Just get the good stuff. Get the milk chocolate. Well, I like dark chocolate sometimes. Belgian chocolate. All right, so grief. Swiss I actually chocolate. was talking to a friend yesterday about grief, and she said, I feel like I am not grieving the normal way. I'm not going through all the steps yeah. in order. I am at, like, step one, and then I go to step three. So, and hold on. So, to clarify... There are five stages of grief, right? There are five stages. Okay. So they are what? I, we're, I not, we're not there yet. We're not I cut there it yet. off, but if you're going to talk about them, it's important. To oh, but I'm going to talk about them in okay. a second. Okay. So she said, I feel like I'm going from one stage to the other, and it doesn't go in order. And I told her, I'm like, that's normal. Like, there is no normal way to experience grief. It's more like a roller coaster than, like, going downstairs and then you're done. So... The stages of grief are... Do you know them, Nate? Do you know any of them? I just remember that video with the giraffe. Oh, man. That's such a great video. And there's the Studio C one on grief. <coughs> the Stages of Grief Netflix. 
That one's pretty funny. I mean, okay, let's let's hear if Nate knows them. I know some of them. Like there's acceptance, mm-hmm. denial, mm-hmm. and there's other ones. Good. Those are number one and number five. Okay. Denial is the first one. Number two is anger. Three is bargaining. Four is depression. And that's more like extreme sadness, not clinical depression. It could turn into clinical depression. Yes. And five is, you said it. Denial. No, that's number one. (laughs) Acceptance. Acceptance. Yes. So these are, it's not like, okay, denial, and then I'm going to be angry, and then I'm going to bargain, and then Mm. I'm going to be sad, and then I'm going to accept it, and it's over, and voila, I've moved on with my life. No. No, no, no. It doesn't work like that. Definitely does not work like that. So Jess and I have gone through grief, you know, individually and as families and in different ways. Like I've had lots of people die in my family. Some of them expected, some of them horrible accidents. Um, Jess, very, very similar. That being said, um, the most recent death for me, for us, no, for me, um, individually was 2014. So it's been six years, seven years going on eight years. Um, and so I'm going to tell you guys, like when it starts, it is like hitting a wall. Um, and then as time goes on, you learn to deal with everything that's coming at you. But the, the, I wish I could say the pain that you feel, the sadness that you feel all that goes away. It doesn't really you just learn how to deal with it better. So there was a guy um, when that incident happened, uh, he told me this and it's just really stuck with me. And this would explain what Jess was just saying about grief um, and the five stages. He said that it's like somebody lined up your your entire family, shoulder to shoulder, and they all got punched in the face at the same time. Um, Doesn't matter how big or how small, how old or how young, whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, They all got punched in the face at the same time. Obviously, somebody who's really young is going to take getting hit in the face very, very differently than somebody who's in their 20s or 30s or whatever. Everyone's going to have had it happen to them and they happen the same way, but they all react differently and they all come back from the situation differently. That is essentially how grief is. But the remembrance of it, the fact that it happened never goes away and you just have to learn to live with it. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily get easier, but your coping skills and living with it get better. Yeah. So I guess in that sense, people think it's easier, but the grief isn't easier. That pain doesn't go away. You just learn how to cope with it. You're stronger. Better. You're stronger. You're more wise. You're better. That's that's what it is. So so the, the most important thing with all of this is you have got to be patient with you and your own trail or path that you're going to go through. If, you know, somebody close to your family died and your mom's there saying, hey, you should do this or you should do this or you should do this, you can listen to those things constructively. But chances are, if that person's going through grief as well, it's going to be different for everybody. So you really just kind of need to approach approach it all, eyes wide open, and just do your best. And that's all you can really do. It's not going to be easy, but you can get through it. For sure. And grief is experiencing a loss. That doesn't necessarily mean always death. That could be a divorce. It could be. You could yeah. be losing 
the normal stability of your life, that could be moving and losing some friends. That could be losing a job. That could be a breakup. It could be losing an, a pet or a family member. Even someone, if they got their leg cut off, they're going to experience grief with that because they have lost something that's important to them. So when you hear people talk about grief, don't just think, oh, well, I'd have never really experienced it because no one close to me has died. You can go through grief for many different things, whatever it is that you are losing, whether that's physically losing or emotionally losing. That's true. I guess I brought up what I brought up because I think for me, the strongest feelings of grief I had was through death, but you can experience it in a lot of other ways. And that doesn't mean it's any less real or any less of a problem. It's still there. And if you don't deal with it, if you don't approach it, it can become a much, much worse problem. As Jess said, depression as being one of the steps of grief can be just like a momentary sadness or it can turn into clinical depression and grief oftentimes can do that if you don't deal with the problem or get help or or whatever but you can't just let it sit it has to be dealt with yeah and next episode we're doing a part two to grief on coping with grief so today we're just talking about like grief and what it is and the five steps and next week we will talk about how to cope with it how when you're going through this, do you deal with it and how to help someone else who is going through grief? So should we go through every <coughs> single step? I th- I think that you want to. Okay, I, I do. Pop quiz, Nate. What's step number one? Um, except, oh no, denial. Denial. And see, it's not very fair that I teach this and he doesn't. If we were talking about history, which... Let's be honest, no one wants to talk about history. I do. Really? Yeah, all the time. Well, I'm not helping you with a podcast. I just had an argument yesterday on history. Oh my goodness. Why? Why? Did I walk away? Probably. Probably. (laughs) I was arguing about how history should be taught in school. Oh yeah. See, I don't wanna I don't wanna get into that. But so step one, denial. What kind of feelings? Let's think Mm -hmm. about when you are experiencing grief usually, and not always, but usually this is the very first emotion you feel. You You, don't want to admit it's real. You don't want to admit it's real. You've seen this in movies and maybe experienced it yourself. Like, I'm dreaming. This can't be happening. Wake up, wake up, wake up. This isn't real. Or, and this is the, so sad. My friend recently lost her dad. And... Not expected. Not, yeah, it wasn't expected. She picked up her phone to call her dad. You know, that's the part of our brain that's still denying what this is, why this is happening. And why, why do we do this? Why do we automatically deny what's happened? Do you know, Nate, why does our brain, Well, I mean, you could assume why. We avoid change. We do. And our brain is going to do everything it can to help us be healthy and happy well we're we're also creatures of habit and if you lose something major in your life it messes with the habit that your brain tries to create Mm -hmm. the waking up at the same time the i mean if you guys think about your day and you know a lot of you 
you know, being teenagers, you probably don't wake up till the butt crack of noon, right? The butt, <laughs> That's butt what... <laughs> crack of dawn, Nate. No, no, no. It's a butt crack of noon. No, it is not. It's also the other way. But these guys don't wake up at dawn, right? So anyway, the point is, is you probably wake up at about the same time. You have the same routines in the morning. You do the same stuff to get going. You may even eat the same things for breakfast or not eat breakfast at all. You eat might call the guys. same person. Like, I mean, heck, if you look at your phone now. Your phone is starting to remind you of your routines every day. At least my iPhone does. Yes, it's like this is the app you first opened. Or exactly. do you need to send a text to this person? Or craziest thing, but I love it, is when it says, do you want to turn your alarm off for the holiday tomorrow? I'm like, yes, so thank you. <laughs> we're off on kind of a tangent, but the point is, yeah, sorry. is even technology is helping make us be creatures of habit. So when you have something major happen, your mind just, it, it doesn't cope with it. We're not built to sustain change, especially not big changes. That's why your mind has such a hard time wrapping around it. Well, we are built to do it, but it is difficult and it makes us stronger people. So initially, that initial yeah. shock of it is no, we can't go through this. We don't want to change. Let's just hide that away for a minute. So the denial stage is a rough one because sometimes it's such a habit, like picking up the phone to call that person or maybe your parents are divorced and going downstairs and call or going somewhere and expecting to see your parents and not both of them are there. That, that can be, be very, very difficult. But that is the first stage. Remember the second stage? No. My memory is not I very ju long. I just talked about these ones. Number two. Uh -huh. I know it's number two. Mm -hmm. That's where we're at. So you deny it and then you get anger, Nate. Anger. Oh, I was going to say happy. Oh, man. He needs to come to my health class. Well, next year maybe. Actually, I don't have any prep, so I can't. I know. Anger is the second stage. Anger, I think, is super important to talk about because when we think of anger, we think of like the Hulk, right? Just getting mad and angry. Well, and if that needs to happen, it needs to happen. For sure. But that is not always how it happens. That's Do true. you? So when you experienced that really hard loss in 2014, were you angry initially? at this situation well i bet you can confirm this right so i remember the night that my family was all brought together we were brought to the hospital i was angry that night i was really 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 angry that night about the whole situation mm -hmm. um and i think a lot of what that anger was is there was no denying i i i remember feeling that denial part early on in that day like when, initially right when, when you when, found out. When news broke. Yes. But then pretty quickly, it just, I don't know, I had people calling me from all over. Hey, dad's dead, dad's dead, dad's dead. And that was really the news I was getting. Um, I had to wrap my mind around it pretty quick. Um, and so the, the the anger part came, I think, mainly because my brain didn't understand, but it accepted. And so anger was what was shown because I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know how to process it. But the anger for me went away actually very quickly. Very quickly. Maybe maybe too quickly because I think humans 
see anger as a bad emotion mm-hmm. and it's not. We need to feel anger sometimes. Now how we use that anger and how we react from that anger, that's the part that can be negative and bad. But anger is a natural, normal emotion that we should be feeling. It's true. So I think you kind of, and this is my outside point of view, and I don't know how Nate was feeling, but it seemed to me he pushed that anger away really fast and maybe didn't fully cope with that anger and fully experience it how he should have. Well, I remember even just, it was just a couple years ago, somebody was talking to me um, and they said, so how do you feel about everything? And I said, oh, you know, it is what it is. I'm just, I'm trying to deal with it every day. And they're like, you're not angry. And I said, I no, I'm not angry right now. And they said, you can't tell me that you're not really angry. This just happened to your dad not very long ago. And you're not angry about it. And I really have thought about that. And I don't know, like, I guess if I really stewed on that, if I really stewed on what happened, if I really allowed it to fester and boil over, I would probably be able to dig up some anger somewhere. But I have just been so focused on trying to forgive and love and move on because that's what's helped me get through the situation more than anything else that I just didn't give anger its due. I tried to turn anger aside and focus on something else. And I mean, a lot of families, I've seen a lot of other families go through very similar situations to me and I've watched anger take over. I've watched anger take over in my own family with some of my family members. And it's been, it's been hard to see and there's nothing I can do about it, but just trying to forgive and move on has been the most healing portion or thing for me. So you have to understand, cause I don't feel like you shared this. His dad was murdered So that's why people are saying, like, you're not angry about it. Okay. So I think you had to say that to really... I think I brought it up. Maybe I didn't. I don't know. Understand. But it was interesting because Nate afterward was super... Not super. He was angry towards me and the kids. And it was just little things that we do. And he wouldn't get really angry. Irritable. Irritable is probably a better word, but he was. He had a lot of built-up tension inside, and we ended up going to counseling, and you had to kind of work through the emotions. How did you feel when it happened? And I remember, didn't you write the story of all, like, from the beginning and write? That was one of your assignments, I think. I, I that's Yeah, with one of the counselors it was, and now that you say that, it was a counselor that I went to that was the one that brought it up, and he's like, you're not angry about this? Like, how can you not be? But I think that really helped. And that irritability has kind of gone away because you were able to more process those emotions. And sometimes it takes years to go back and be able to reflect on those emotions. There are like my parents being divorced. I have been a really fairly happy kid, but recently, and there's other things that have caused grief in my life. I, my dad wasn't super stable for a time and he knows I'm sharing this. So if he listens, he said it was okay. Cause I told him, I'm like, I don't know if you want to listen. Cause I'm going to be really open, but he wasn't, he wasn't super stable. And I was having super angry dreams, very, very angry dreams. And I started working through these emotions from when I was five years old And things that I didn't want to face, I just wanted to push it all in a closet and not deal with it and just be happy. 
And I started dealing with these emotions myself and talking to Nate about them and understanding things and making, I guess, like <coughs> connections between things when I was little and now. And that helped me so much. I don't have these dreams where I am like screaming at people and so, so angry because I would wake up and be frustrated for that day because of this anger that I felt the night before. Obviously, there was something built up inside of me that I needed to cope with. Yeah. And I think that came from grief from when I was little. Well, I mean, that. going through divorces and moves. I moved 13 times by the time I was 13. She she read a book called The Body Keeps the Score. Amazing. And that's where all of this came from. It took her, look, Jess will read, I mean, when she wants to, she can read three, four, five books a week. This, uh, no, not that many. Maybe oh, like two. Oh, whatever. She reads more than Maybe that. Maybe three. Thank you. <laughs> I said three, four, five, right? Depends on the book. She, how, this book took you a long time to Months. Read. It took me months because it's very scientific and... But it's changed, you, it's changed her life. If you're a young teenager, I don't know if I recommend this book to you because it talks a lot about trauma and it's very specific in experiences. It was a very hard read for me. So if you are going through trauma, maybe talk to a trusted adult about whether they think you should read it or not. Because it is really hard. It talks a lot about abuse. And it was a very hard read. I think it was super beneficial to me and would recommend adults who have gone through trauma to read it. Well, but it, I don't know with teenagers. The, the, the thing about the book is, is it taught her that your body holds on to things. Yeah. And it doesn't let it go, even though you think you have. And the mind's an amazing thing. And we really don't understand a lot about it. And so the book really talked about how you need, you need to acknowledge those things to move past them. Yeah. And we'll talk about that more next so. episode because we'll talk about more the coping and I'll bring up things that that book taught me with coping. All right. Uh, the third stage is bargaining. So bargaining is maybe someone's religious and they pray to their God and say, <coughs> I will do anything to get this person back. I will do anything to have my parents together. I remember as a kid, I thought, I really genuinely thought my parents might get married again until I was, I don't know, probably like 18 and they got divorced when I was five. I held on to that. And that was like the bargaining in my mind. Or if I, I'll take their place. Or you think about the past. If I could just go back and change this. Yeah. It's your mind's way of how can I fix this. Our minds want to fix what is wrong. And so that's the bargaining stage. And then we have depression. And that one I think is self-explanatory. There's often a deep sadness with it. And we have to experience that. You have to feel that sadness you're going through and how we cope with that and how we work through that is really important. And we'll talk about that we'll next week. That. And then acceptance. And acceptance, I mean, sometimes you think you've accepted it and then you go back, something triggers that emotion and you're back in the midst of all those feelings and oh, you may yeah. be back to denial again. And that is normal. That's completely normal. Denying like, how has this even happened to me? And maybe feeling the anger again. Oh yeah. So it doesn't always end with acceptance. And guys, that 
can take years and you can all of a sudden go back. You can feel like, okay, I'm great. And then all of a sudden, bam, you're back there. Mm-hmm. Um, the people that were involved um, in my dad's death um, were tried and sentenced. And then there were a, was a problem in the um, jury instructions or whatever. So they appealed and got the opportunity to have a retrial where through a plea deal they pled guilty but on the 22nd of june so just a couple weeks ago they were resentenced again and going there and being part of that resentencing and really i i didn't do that for myself i did that for a need to be close to my family and feel supportive of my family and stuff um but going back to that and being there it brought everything back um, and that doesn't mean that, you know, it, you may sit in those early stages of the grief cycle again for a while or the five stages of grief again for a while. And for me, like I went back and, you know, I'm, I'm back, you know, to where I was, you know, but it, it's just understand that that's normal. And remember, it's been seven years for me. Um, so whatever it is, just know that it, when you're sitting there thinking, when you're tired or when you're stressed or when you're frustrated and it's all related to this individual incident, just know that you're normal. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with you. You're okay. Um, just work through it. And that's why having people that you love and care about in your life that can help and that will listen and that's there for you. And even people that have gone through it with you that you can talk to. Like I call my brother a lot and talk to my brother just because him and I were similar ages in a similar situation with similar families. Um, it, it's really easier to talk to him, um, because him and I were on a much more even playing field. I've talked to my mom a bunch about it too. Um, it's just, and I get comforted from her, but it's just not the same just because my brother and I were so comparable. So so him and I really talk about it a lot and that's been comforting for me. Yeah. And you're getting into next episode. So you should have saved that. That's a good point. We'll come back to that then. Yeah. If we Je- will. If Jess reminds me. <laughs> I'll forget. My memory is just as bad as his. No, it's not. She um, remembers everything. Women remember everything. Whatever. <laughs> whatever. He's referring to like arguments, okay? Like she remembers what color my shoelaces were 10 years ago when we argued about the direction the toilet paper had to go. No, I don't even care. What? Do you care? Do you even care what direction the toilet paper goes? No, I don't We've care. never even had that. No, I think that. Why are people so passionate about our this? Our first argument, what was it? It was the diaper wipes. Diaper How wipes. many diaper How wipes many? do you use when you change a baby's diaper? Email us in. What do you think? <laughs> Jeez. Poopy you, yes. diaper. Email us about that. How many diaper wipes do you use? I mean, use? you can, but. We're, that would be great. I used to I'm going to use... put that. Oh, we have an Instagram. Oh, yes. We did create an Instagram. Yes. Maybe I'm going to put that poll on there. I'm going to put it. a poll on so, our story. How many diaper wipes do you use? And we're going to see who's correct, Nate or I. Let's 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 actually just see. We won't tell you what our numbers are. We'll tell you next week. No, yeah, we're not going to tell you. So we'll have to just see who can get I closer. will say I've changed way more diapers than Nate, though. That's not true. Okay, so our Instagram is real advice for teens. The letter for just no, like it's the number four. oh my gosh we're talking numbers here <gasps> it was a late night guys with fireworks okay the number four see he keeps me in check but real advice the number four teens and we really want followers i mean that 
that's why we're doing so, it. So yeah, I get think. on there and start following. That's a good thing. Yeah. And, and we'll post like just quotes to uplift you and maybe funny things that we see and polls about how many diaper wipes to use, even though we're talking to teenagers and they probably don't hey, change you guys, that many poopy diapers. A lot diapers. of you have siblings and I bet you have, you've changed diapers, right? Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, And I'm going to win this one. Some of what do I get things. if I win? Well, we're talking about teenagers here. Uh-huh. So just think about that. I know, I know. I think Nate, maybe maybe we'll ask you guys, what will Nate have to give me when I win? All right, but follow us on Instagram and don't forget to subscribe and send us your emails. Real advice for teens, the number four at gmail.com. And I would also add that whenever Jessica bets me, she always loses. I do. I always lose. So guys, choose my answer, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. Okay? <laughs> All right, guys. See ya.